0: Well, thank you, Stephanie and worship team, for leading us so well. And welcome, everybody, to Skyview Church this morning. I trust you are doing well and uh, you're looking well. Some of you are smiling. I'm looking at particularly a person who doesn't like to be called out, but I'm just going to acknowledge him, Don Quantz. I think, I think, Don, it's your birthday today. So, do what Don doesn't like, uh, make a fuss about him uh, today as this. <laughs> uh, one of the challenges of growing as a church, I think, is that um, we can often risk the intimacy and the relational proximity of a small church. And um, as a pastor, I, I think that church is best done relationally. In other words, um, we don't want to kind of gather with this sense of anonymity from one another. It is not possible to know everybody. I know that. <laughs> uh, I, I, however, come close. I know most of you. Some I don't know. Some of you are probably going, I don't know if I want to know you, but I do. Uh, but there's something significant about a church that prioritizes relationships and doesn't seek to kind of live as if what we are is only defined by this moment. And so I want to encourage you in the weeks and the months ahead to consider what it means to not only spend more time with the Lord, but also to get to know your church family. Perhaps in the next few weeks and months ahead, there's opportunities for you as restrictions have been lifted and as we are cautiously moving forward to invite somebody over for a cup of coffee or tea. I love a good cup of tea. Um, Maybe there's an opportunity just to reach out to somebody and uh, just to get to know someone again. Uh, Over the last two years, and I'm sorry, I'm just taking a few moments, but I think this is important. Over the last few years, we've had transitions. We've had people leave and move on. We've also received new people. And perhaps some of you are saying what I'm saying every Sunday is, wow, this this is a different crowd. Uh, I don't know so-and-so, I haven't seen so-and-so, uh, and and you know, I, I don't know who that is. Uh, here's a simple way to get over that. Read the name tag uh, and uh, go out for coffee or tea. Um, try to connect, that's all I'm saying. I think it's really important for us in this season as we regather. Uh, on a personal note, I'm gonna take the liberty to say I'm super excited today, can you see that? Very happy, not just because it's Don's birthday, by the way, it's Don's birthday today, Um, but because our oldest daughter, Lauren, gets home late, late tonight, and so this dad is very excited. (laughs) Uh, As we uh, prepare ourselves now for the uh, reading of the Word of God, I am going to invite you, if you are able to do so, uh, to stand with me. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 6, reading from verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had No leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. And as he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five And two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. And immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Father God, this morning, I pray that once again, as we meditate upon your word together as a community of faith, that we would hear that which is not only true, but we would hear your invitation for us. We desire, especially over this Lenten season, to draw close to the eternal word that is you, for it is not just the words of Scripture that is important to us, but it is the word that has been made flesh, Jesus Christ. Is ultimately the embodiment of truth. To know Christ is to know truth. To know Jesus is to know the way, the truth, and the life. And therefore, as I preach, I pray that through words you would transcend in such a way as to make visible the incarnate God in Christ amongst us. May we hear his voice. May we discern his invitation. May we say with our hearts, indeed with our minds, speak, Lord, for we are listening. We are open. We are hungry for your word, so that we may be filled and so that we may be a blessing in this world. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's words in the church that we use a lot that we presume everybody understands. Now, I don't use as big a words as Pastor Brittany and Pastor Ryan, uh, but the word discipleship is often a word that we use in the church to talk about the process of becoming who God wants us to be. In the gospel in particular, discipleship is defined as following Jesus. Not very technical, not very intricate, not very philosoph- uh, philosophical, simply put, To be a disciple is to follow Jesus. In Mark's gospel, Jesus invites his disciples, calls them, the unlikely crew, to follow him, and they begin following him. And Jesus, being who he is is a good rabbinic teacher, does not only orally, verbally, teach them what it means to live according to the will of the Father, but Jesus embodies for them. So disciples who follow Jesus understand that Jesus is interested in us doing the kinds of things that he did. In fact, Jesus would go as far as to say to disciples that I invite you to do even more than I did. I still kind of go, really, us? Really, me? You expect a lot more from me than I think I can give you. That's how I feel, just to be honest. But this idea of discipleship is not simply an acknowledgement or words that we say like I am Christian, It it is a sincere desire and will and action to follow the example of Jesus. Now get this, the disciples do it really well in the beginning of Mark. They start promisingly, but they kind of fall down a little bit as the gospel progresses. Let's not make that our example. Uh, Let's not say if they couldn't do it, maybe we can't. (laughs) Uh, Let's not look for the lowest common denominator and work towards that end. You know, know, when you want to feel better about yourself, just look at some of the people who show up on America's Got Talent who does not have talent. (laughs) And you go, at least I'm not like that. Uh, Discipleship is about learning to walk in the ways of Jesus, and so the disciples begin, and they, they do a few things that are quite remarkable prior to this text. They start to minister to the poor. They start to heal the sick. They start to cast out demons. Now, I know with the moment that the Bible kind of gets provocative with those kinds of images, most of us as Westerners kind of dial out. Today, we have said, you know, psychologically, we can explain that, and maybe that's what was happening, Uh, but I, I, I read the Bible, and I go, there certainly seems to be from the biblical witness this real sense of God through Christ encountering evil that possesses and holds people in bondage, and Jesus has the power to liberate people from such bondage. In our culture, We may not look at possession the way they did biblically, or perhaps in some of the world regions, uh, represented by the growing diversity in this church. But I think this is fair to say that many people still today live in bondage, live tied to habits, to addictions, to past hurts, to to, uh, relationship conflicts, To things that still hold them from the true liberation and freedom that God in Christ wants to wrought in us. And so the same Jesus who liberates and heals calls these disciples to liberate and heal. And they do the work. They do the work. They are successful. Listen, in Mark's gospel, we should all pause and praise God and applaud the disciples right now. Because it doesn't get too good for them. But what they prove is, is that when you believe Jesus, you are actually able to do that which Jesus has called you to do. And so, they liberate, they pray, they set demons free, they are on fire. They are doing the work of the kingdom. I don't know what that all would feel like, but I've been in busy seasons of my life. I've had times where... Ministry has felt like trying to drink through a fire hose. Get that image? Some of us know what life feels like when it happens at an alarmingly fast rate. In fact, let me just make some cultural observations. We tend to think that the busier we are, the more value we have. Have you ever noticed that when we're with people and people ask you, how are you doing, the right answer is I'm okay. The wrong answer is I'm busy. We seem to have this kind of idea that in the culture in which we live, to be busy is to be successful. To be successful is what we all are called to do. But there's something very significant about following Jesus, not only in terms of the activity of ministry, the busyness of ministry, but the Jesus who says to his disciples, Come away with me. You need a break. In fact, uh, I've preached on this before, and there's a few of you that always come up to me afterwards and say, I'm under conviction. Those are the bold few. But I would suggest amongst us today, there are some of us who do not know, who have not tasted for a long time what it means to be alone with our savior and our lord now I want to paint a picture for you because I know that the old the old Christians amongst us and by old I don't mean age I mean aged like a fine wine yeah I said that <laughs> don't get uncomfortable for some of us, when you hear, come away with Jesus, you, 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 you feel the, the futility of trying to do that. You've heard many sermons about coming away with the Lord. You know, in, in, in the many things that we as Christians emphasize we are called to do as disciples, one of the, one of the, one of the most important, one of the most important commandments, because we like the commandments. have had Christians say, let's, let's, let's put it back up in the, the school. Let's, 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 put it, let's speak again about the importance of the commandments. Can I just say this to you? It seems that we have a preference for some commandments over others. You know what is the anchoring command in the great commandments? Keep the Sabbath holy. Cease from your work. Not only you, but your children and their children. Learn, in other words, learn to practice the holy rest that God has come to give each and every one of you. And although I know that for many of us, rest might look different, there is no escaping the reality that discipleship does not happen when we are consistently pushing ourselves To meet the needs without spending time with the Savior, we burn out. We become uh, machinery. People become blurry, they become objects. We forget. That the work that the church is called to do, it cannot accomplish without the help of God. This is not my main point. So You should feel really good because I think this is a good, s- not main point. I don't have my glasses on, so I don't know what your faces look like. Maybe I prefer your mask on right now because you're, but here Jesus, come away with me. As we enter this Lenten season, I I want to encourage you because I I don't think some of you are convinced that the real source of purpose and peace in your life is actually not in accomplishing more things that you have on your list. I want to speak to you a countercultural perspective of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus invites us. You know what Matthew says? Matthew quotes Jesus where Jesus says to who? His disciples, come to me. All who are weary, all who are burdened, all who are tired, and hear this, and I will give you rest. Come to me, come to me, all who kind of feel like they're at the end of their rope who kind of feel like things are not the way we want it. Come to me, all who are searching again for what it means to walk in the ways of Jesus. Come to me. You know... um, The season of Lent is an interesting season. Some people don't understand it. Some people think it only belongs to certain Christian traditions. Let me just offer you a a great perspective. The the season of Lent is an invitation to follow Jesus into the places where Jesus often wants us to go and where we don't willfully want to go. One of the reasons why... um, We practice Lent is because in our culture of consumption, and in our culture of more is what I need, Lent pushes against the idea, and it's rooted in the scripture, that that we will not only live by the material things of this world, but we would really truly live when we begin to eat from the bread of life himself. Lent is an invitation for us to practice a different way of living. And here's the sad reality. Most of us probably won't. I think it is important that we pause for a second to recognize that Jesus invites us to come away to rest. But I want to focus, and this is the purpose and the aim of my sermon, on the fact that not only does Jesus invite us to come away, but where he invites his disciples to go is very, very important for all of us. Last week I, told, uh, I spoke about uh, Jesus being min- busy as his disciples are now busy, healing and casting out demons. And yet Jesus finds a way to spend time with the Father and withdraws. I know sometimes when I think that I don't have time for the Lord, I think that I am somehow stronger than Jesus to live this life. Let me put it to you in a question. If Jesus needed to withdraw and spend time in prayer, seeking the will of the Father in the busy seasons of life, how much more do we? How much more do we? I had two people that embodied, this is now in my notes. I shouldn't say that, right? You probably know that because my notes are over there. And, I mean. <laughs> two people in my life that embodied for me um, this willingness and this faith and this understanding that their identity was shaped in communion with God and not in the activity of their lives, primarily. First is my grandma, called a mama. As much as I try to be philosophical and smart and intellectual and teach you the Bible and give you some of the Greek and the Hebrew, if it's appropriate, and the context, I want to to explain to you how this pastor learns the truth of Scripture. I look for it lived out. And when I look at our church, I wonder how many of us embody such a deep faith in God that we are actually able to cease, to stop, to trust, to pray. But it is to a deserted place that Jesus invites his disciples to go. They get in the boat, and if we read the story honestly, as they cross the body of water, the disciples, the, the crowds see them, and they run ahead of them. Now, that's peculiar for a number of reasons I don't have the time to explore. I, I'm just kind of curious how that disciples who know fishing don't know how to row faster than people running. I don't know. But. <laughs> and the good invitation to come away with Jesus is interrupted by a crowd of people that have become hungry they become hungry for something, they don't quite understand what it is yet, but they come to find the one who they believe may help them. Sometimes in my own life, I only have my own example to use, um, when I am busy and I I feel the hunger in me for time alone with God. And and I get that phone call or that person comes to the door. I have to always remind myself again that if I'm going to follow Jesus well, sometimes Jesus allows interruptions. But do you know how the scripture ends? He, He makes his way after it all back up the mountain to pray. And so, uh, Jesus responds. He's uh, compassionate. He, in fact, the scripture says he looks at the people and they look like sheep without a shepherd. I, I'm not an agricultural or, 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 or an a, a, a actual shepherd. But I want us to imagine what that looks like. I wonder if that image of a, of a shepherdless people is more appropriate these days than it's ever been before. I wonder if perhaps in not coming away with Jesus, we have lost the way in which only he provides, guides, and leads. Uh, If you are feeling today or perhaps you have felt for a while like you're a little floating everywhere, let me suggest to you, That this word is for you. Here is the invitation. Come away with Christ. Make time for listening. Schedule it if you must. I don't know some of you. Draw closer to the Lord through music. Some of you through reading. I don't. I don't really want to prescribe how you do this, and this sounds like preaching 101. Maybe I would have done this 20 something years ago when I started preaching, but I want to just say to you, the simplicity of our Christian faith is this: it begins with a response to the one who invites us to come to Him. I think we've been going to a lot of other places. I think it's easy to go to places that may invite us to not really change. But when we respond to the one who comes and invites us to join him in the deserted place, we are saying yes to the one that can truly feed us and the one that can truly guide us. In the desert God provides for Israel where they see there is nothing he creates something I have spoken a lot about the desert here one day whether I leave or I retire whichever comes first I want you to say that of me he loved the desert I think when Jesus invites us to go away with him like God separated the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, often it is into a place, a space, that sometimes doesn't feel like God's invitation. I have seen this, and stay with me for a second. A number of years ago... I'm just going to grab my water, I'm sorry. I found this, um, uh, this wonderful... Um, water bottle in the kitchen. If it belongs to you, I'm sorry. (laughs) I did sanitize it. Just in case you're worrying. Oh, that's good. It's water. It's water. (laughs) I'm trying my best. Now that I see your faces, I realize how much humor you need in your life. Um, A few years ago, number of years ago, a couple started attending our church and um, the husband uh, was on fire for the Lord. You know, just loved Jesus. The wife was new to this whole Christian faith. But she, uh, she listened, she came, she worshiped, she participated, and then soon, she found herself, herself following Jesus. Within months, within months, she was diagnosed with cancer. She was in her mid-30s, became a very good friend, close friend to many of us here. And I remember showing up with her at the Tom Baker, you know, when you go for your round of chemo. They say sometimes it's really good to go with somebody and just sit there. You know, I I gotta be honest, I, I, I pay my bills with my mouth. So sometimes I don't know when to be quiet. But nothing quiets you more than sitting in a place where you realize what some people are carrying and dealing with. As I sat with her a few times, I started to observe something. She was in her desert place. She was in a difficult place. And somehow, this very shy, introverted, she was so introverted. Her husband, on the other hand, I hope he watches because I did ask permission to share this. He's not in the city anymore, but... He is as gregarious as it comes. He walks into a room and you know he's here. You know? She, on the other end, was this quiet introvert. Speaks only when asked a question. With answering small little sentences and words. i got to be honest with you. If you're that kind of person and I speak to you, don't do that to me. (laughs) But I remember when we walked into the Tom Baker once and she started to greet the people that were there. And I was struck by a few things. She knew their names. This uh, shy person uh, was known by a lot of people that were sitting in that room that, that I don't think she would have known unless she entered into this space. Now, uh, stay with me for a second. I, I started to wonder in my own journey of faith and following Jesus that sometimes... The hard places, the difficult places, the places that are scary, uh, the places that are tough, holds the hope for a transformation that otherwise cannot be wrought. I'm not saying that God led her into cancer, but what I do know is that the God who meets her in the waiting room at Tom Baker, is present in places like this. I wonder when Jesus invited his disciples to go with him, and they perhaps had a, a sense of what that would look like. And when the crowds interrupted and they came, Jesus responds in compassion. It's easy for the disciples to perhaps feel like they've been slighted. Disciples do that. They always act like they've been slighted in Mark's gospel. (laughs) And they are perfect examples for us because they make us feel a lot better about ourselves. And and Jesus responds to uh, the crowds with compassion because he is the shepherd. In the previous chapter, we just learned that Herod, who was supposed to be the king for the people, in fact was nothing but a wolf in lamb's clothing. And yet Jesus responds in compassion to the crowd in the deserted place and and where the disciples start to ask the questions that we all ask when we get into difficult places. How are we going to deal with the challenges before us? Jesus meets The needs of the hungry crowds, not only through the multiplication of meager offerings, but through the teaching about the kingdom of God. Hear me now, full bellies does not mean that we are satisfied, neither does empty stomachs mean that we will naturally hunger for God, but the God who meets us in the deserted place is the one who desires to feed both. Let me ask you, what are you most hungry for? What is it that you are longing God does? I had a hard conversation with my daughter once. Um, I won't say which one so that I can use the story. Um, It's a great preaching tool. Another reason why I wish we had two sons that could do the same thing, but now I have to ask Luke permission every time I use him. And. In her young face, she asked me, she says, Dad, um, I don't understand why I have to go through some things. You know? <laughs> you know, when they, I, I prefer my kids when they were little for a number of reasons. <laughs> they didn't ask hard questions. <laughs> but this one, she's born to ask hard questions. Now you probably know which one it is. And um, she said she's trying to make sense of this faith that doesn't always look the way that it's been presented to her. Some of you sitting here, you know, you know, that sometimes desert wanderings can feel like there's no provision and no hope. But the God who invites us to follow him, to come away with him, is not only the one that can provide where we do not see provision. And by the way, one of the challenges that I'm trying to overcome, and I'll be closing soon, one of the challenges I'm trying to overcome in our church is that we operate out of this deficiency mindset, right? Like if we just had more of this, we would be better. I just want you to understand I'm not employing some kind of philosophical strategy on here to make you think we are great. What I am saying is, because I believe that God is with us and present in our church, and his spirit is here, that he has given us what we need to do his will as a church. Disciples learn that even when they cannot see the provision of God, that because of who he is, things are possible. Jesus says these words to them when they say, hey, it's getting late. Perhaps they remembered what happened to Moses when the people got hungry in the desert before. And they'll be like, you know, I know you're saying, you know, feast on my words. But I could tell you, they're going to need something. And when they get rebellious, when they get hungry, they don't listen that good. That's why we should never preach over 12 o'clock here, by the way. (laughs) But Jesus looks at them and says, you... You feed them. You know, if, 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 if the invitation is to come and rest and the invitation is to allow Christ to minister to us in places that we are more receptive to hearing and changing and being transformed, I think the final thing I want to say to you is, is that this season is also, and this scripture is also, a wonderful invitation for us to practice what it means to be truly a disciple. It is not just... To see that there is provision because of who God is. But it is to act in obedience to what he asks us to do. Even when we cannot see the outcome. Do you know who this miracle was for? I bet you anything. That in the thousands of crowds, they had no idea where the food was coming from. They were just eating. You know who this miracle was for? It was for those 12. So that they could see and learn who Jesus is. The one who invites us to participate will teach us a faith that we do not have unless we get involved in the work that he has called us to do. So I ask you, in the desert, when you're hungry... Let God feed you through his word. Come away with him, but in the deserted place. Let us also stand ready to be a part of ministering to the needs of the world around us. Let us pray. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Father, this morning we hear your invitation, and we now respond as your children as we come to you. Amen.